Amen. You may have a seat. So before we get into the message this morning, I just wanted to share a couple things. Um, if you've been here since the beginning of the year, you'll know that we uh, have been released from the denomination that we've been part of for a long time, and that's a long story that I'm not going to get into right now. But we are part of a regional network of churches um, that is called the Sending Network, and it started with four churches and four pastors, and we... Um, Five have officially been transferred. There's another four that are likely to be transferred this, this fall. And by this time next year, we may have 12. There's, there's other churches interested. We, by the way, have um, turned away people from Cedar Rapids and Iowa City and Northwest Iowa and, and even out of state who are interested in the network because we aren't trying to be a big thing. We're just trying to be churches that are faithful and our friends together trying to advance the mission of, of Jesus. Um, I tell that to you because this morning we have one of those four pastors, uh, Steve Hirama, who's our guest pastor today, teacher, and he is and I are on the leadership team of the Sending Network together, and we're friends, and Steve is pastor of the Way, you call it the Way Church of Newton, or church, doesn't matter, the Way, which is in Newton, it's a church in Newton, the Way, and Interesting, it's sim a similar story to Celebrates in that Steve was going to be planting a church in Newton, but there was a Reformed church that decided to close right at the same time, and so uh, they gave the, Steve and his team that building, and they launched uh, the church from there, and Celebrate is a restart similar to that as, as well. Uh, but I'm going to invite Steve to come up now. Steve is super fun. I mean, that's, I just love being around him, and he loves Jesus. And he is full of the Spirit. And there is a dynamic ministry in Newton, which we partner with in lots of ways. Even like just this last uh, few months ago, we did a freedom retreat together with leaders from, from The Way and leaders from, from Celebrate that, that led it here. And so, and one of the things that I love about Steve, he loves his wife, Vicki, who's here. He loves her. I hear about her all the time. I do. That's because I just hit so far out of my league from the get-go. <laughs> I just praise yeah. God every day. Yeah, they are, they are a team, and uh, I, love, I love hearing about Vicki. So I'm going to say a brief prayer and then turn it over to Steve. God, thank you for this man. We thank you for the way in Newton and pray that you would keep advancing your kingdom through that ministry and into Newton and that Jesus would be glorified more and more in that city. And for today, we pray that what you have for us from Steve, individually, what you have for us as a whole, we would have hearts to receive. So come Holy Spirit, we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hello. I am thrilled to be here. Let me uh, just kind of take a few moments just to talk about my journey as it applies to Celebrate Church. And um, a big part of my story uh, is that um, Almost 22 years ago, we moved back uh, to this region, and I started going to church at a church called Third Church in Pella. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, but that's where I met Andrew, and that's also where I met Jesus. Um, now, just to be fair, I grew up in church. So part of the story and, and part of where we're going in our text today um, is that there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And that's going to be the big uh, topic of what we talk about, but as I think about where God has brought me in this journey with the Lord, um, Andrew plays a big part of that. Um, when I first surrendered my life to Christ, when I was born again in the Spirit, I was born again, and he was part of the leadership at the church that helped me uh, just disciple and, and, and grow in my faith. And um, as you kind of fast forward through my development and what got me into ministry, uh, Celebrate played a huge part in that. Uh, the first sermon series that I ever did was here, and it was, I loved it. I loved being here. I don't know how many, this was like 13, 14 years ago, um, and uh, before I even came here, if you go just a little bit before that, I met Bruce Crozier, who became my buddy. The funny story I have with Bruce is we went to a conference together uh, out in California uh, at, at the Crystal Cathedral. We were there. We walked in. And as we walked by a couple of ushers, uh, we overheard them say, well, it looks like the football team has just got here. <laughs> so 
Uh, needless to say, we were kind of kindred spirits from the beginning. I always appreciate seeing Bruce, and Judd has been a big part. When I came here and I preached all those years ago, Judd was kind of the, he was the, the elder that was kind of taking you through this transitional period that you were in at that time. And so Celebrate Church has a very uh, intimate place with me in my heart. I love this church, and I, I love, what I love about the people that are here so much like the people in Newton is y'all are just genuine, right? No fronts. It just is what it is, and I think that's great, and I think it's wonderful, and it's refreshing. Um, my family and I, we just got back um, from New York, the state of New York. We took our son out there and his new bride. Uh, they're going to help plant a church in Syracuse, New York, so that's exciting. But while we were there, Vicki and I decided to stop off at Niagara Falls. Any, anybody here been to Niagara Falls? Yeah. Um, I'm told now, I, I didn't know any better, but we stayed on the American side, which is kind of, um, but the park is on the American side, and it's wonderful. But one of the things that I was struck with this week, when you, when you stand by the falls, it's the power of God, because this is something he created, right? And if you kind of do the research on the Niagara Falls, you realize that there's almost a million gallons of water that flow through the falls every second, I mean, this is power. And so as I come before this text, which, by the way, it's probably one of the most sobering texts in all of Scripture, to be quite frank with you. And I, 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 I'm normally a really fun guy, and I like to have fun and do all these things. But Andrew just happened to ask me as we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're getting chapter 7, to, to come to this text, which is extremely serious. And as a pastor or a leader in a church, or a person who loves Jesus, maybe has children that don't know the Lord, this is, that, this is one of those texts that just kind of, we just carry it with us, because it's such a big deal. And here you are as a community that's on this precipice of, of uh, just a great opportunity for outreach. And part of what should motivate you to, to sign up and to serve is not necessarily what you get out of it, because you will be blessed by it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But primarily, it's an opportunity to, to deal with the text here today and invite people into a relationship with Jesus, because most of the people that we interact with are not going to heaven and that may sound like an extremely judgmental statement. Um, I mean, we kind of, there's a lot of us saying, well, we're Americans. I mean, pretty much every American's going, going to heaven. And, and certainly anybody who's ever gone to church in the history of the American church is going to heaven. No, they're not. And this is a pretty sobering reality. I grew up in a church, and I didn't know Jesus. I knew about him. I heard, uh, you know, I, I could recite the, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. I even was uh, miraculously confirmed in the church when I was 15 years old. And part of that is we had to study, we had to study the, uh, you know, some of the, the confessions of the church, the Heidelberg Catechism. And when I turned 18 and I went off to college, I didn't believe in Jesus I walked away from the church. I walked away from anything that had to do and all the things that I had been taught. Um, and so as we come before the Sermon on the Mount, we're getting to the end, uh, Matthew 7. One of the things about the Sermon on the Mount, as you kind of look at it, it it's, a, it's a little bit like the law itself. Uh, as we go through the Ten Commandments or you go to the first five books of the Bible, that we we're given this law. And, and the Apostle Paul refers to the law as a mirror, and so, as we look at the law, or we look at the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus unveils the kingdom of God, and this is what it's like, our response to all of that is, I stink. I, I mean, it's not a checklist. If it's a checklist, I mean, if there were so many commands in the Sermon on the Mount, how many would we actually check and say, yeah, I do that, I do that. It's like every single walk through the Sermon on the Mount is, oh, Oh, I got work to do. Oh, man. And, but that's the point of it. It's the futility of a works-based salvation. You can't do it. None of you are, so Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's not about teaching people how to behave. That's God's job. 
Our job is to introduce people to Jesus and invite them into a relationship with Christ, a real, dynamic, life-altering change with Christ to be filled and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not a religion. You know, so much of what we do falls under the, the, the umbrella of Christian living, and that, that's good. But we have to go to the first part, which is the radical transformation of a, of a sinful heart by the presence and the power of God. And that is done through the proclamation of the gospel and the command to enter into what Jesus refers to as a narrow gate. And so I want to I begin, I want to read the text to you, and then I'll come back. I'm going to break it into three pieces, and we'll teach our way through it. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 7, starting with verse 13. It will be up on the screen for you. But Jesus, continuing his whole series uh, throughout the, we've been there chapter 5, 6, and now we're getting to the end in chapter 7. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come, in, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But this is also pretty troubling. Just so we know the context, Jesus is talking to what would be classified as the people of God, the nation of God. He's talking to religious leaders. He's talking to people, uh, the Jews. And these are the people that thought that they had this lock on the kingdom of God. And he comes in there and he, he starts laying this whole thing out. Uh, and and, and this, is, this is what it is. And, and the result is, it's like, okay, I, I guess I don't have a lock on anything. And I think that the reason why we struggle with the gospel is because there's a desperation in it. And, and, and somehow in our own personhood, we want to take ownership or somehow bragging rights on what we've done. But when we stand before such profound heavenly wisdom, we're like, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. And that is where we need to be in that humble place of dependency on the grace of God. And then we move into a place that's called faith. And scripture tells me that we are justified, declared innocent by God through faith. And that's where we want to go as we go through this. So like I said, I'm gonna kind of break this into three pieces and then uh, we're gonna teach through that. So we go back to verse 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Narrow gate. I was thinking, he goes on to say, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter uh, through it. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I thought, what would be a good sermon illustration to kind of contrast broad and narrow? And for some reason, I came to this picture of Vicki and I. I'm broad. She's narrow. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I could like bring a, a, a pair of our jeans and I could contrast it to. And I thought, you know, today that's probably not a good idea. But that, that's the idea, right? We think about a narrow gate. We think about a gate that is impossible in ourselves to pass through. It, it's impossible. Um, the gate is open, 
The gate was opened by the death on the cross. However, it is so narrow. And, and, and um, as one theologian described it, the thing about the, the narrow gate is that it's deeply personal. You go through it alone. The crowd does not follow. And so there's something about this idea that you are embarking on a journey. Now, there are people around you, and there are companions along the way, but it is a deeply, deeply personal journey. There is nothing you will ever do that is more personal. All of the things that we cling to on earth that we point to and say, well, this, this justifies me, this makes me something special, this, none of those things can go through the gate. It's just you and what you believe. That's the entrance through the gate. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. This is the other part of it. None of you, none of us are gonna go through the gate by our own choice. We're just not going to do it. It's too much. It's too much trouble. It's, uh, you know, um, it's, it's this life of sacrifice. Jesus says if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. How many of us like to live these lives of sacrifice? Lives of service to some purpose other than our own. That's part of what it entails. Because to enter through that gate, Jesus is the Lord. And that's why it's so difficult. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Most, it says many, I would say probably, I mean, I, I could say theologically, most will go down the broad road. I think that's why it's always kind of a dangerous thing to gauge our process, our transformation, our sanctification, if you will, by what everybody else is doing. We kind of live in a time where there's a dialogue going on in, in our nation and, and things are being said. And, and I don't know how many of you find yourself in the background going, I can't believe this is a thing. But it is. And it's only getting worse. And somewhere along the line, I feel like as a Christian, the gap between what I believe, what I read in the Bible, what Christ is calling me to do in my limited lifespan versus what the world is doing, the gap is widening and I'm becoming more and more of an outcast in many ways. But what's interesting about that is that you go through that narrow gate, and even though it's a deeply personal uh, process, and even though the crowd doesn't go through you, there are other people that are on that journey, and these are the people that you meet. All the people that I mentioned uh, that came from this church, and even this church itself, that th these were not people I knew until I entered in the narrow gate. So these are blessings that are waiting for us. But only God can answer that. And it, so John 14, 6, which is uh, where we got our name for our church in Newton, the way, uh, it's also if you, um, if you study the book of Acts, the initial church was called the way, and Christians, before they were called Christians, were referred to as followers of the way. So... Um, it's, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the church. But this is where uh, it comes from, John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So beginning automatically, we have this statement, this statement that is this dividing statement. The only way you enter the narrow gate, the only way that you go to heaven is through Jesus. Easy, Siri. Every so, every so often, Siri wants her say. But that's, that's the idea, right? How many of you are comfortable in a conversation, having a conversation with somebody and saying, you know what, Jesus is the only way to heaven? Does it make you sound like you're too narrow-minded? Jesus said that. You know, so often as a pastor, I find myself in situations where I'm saying things that I'd really rather not say. I think the assumption is, is that if you're a pastor, you, kinda, you kind of like saying things that are, that are uh, shocking. Or, I, I think most pastors don't. They do it out of uh, obedience to Christ, and it's hard because, you know, my, my desire, my, my desire as a person is for all of you to come here and to leave here uh, just, you know, life is hard, feeling a little bit better about your lives, but it's really for you to be saved. 
and maybe you all are. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe there are some here who aren't. And to quote Charles Spurgeon, that if people are condemned to hell, let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. And so this is where we're at with this text. Jesus is talking about a small gate. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was reading a a poll, and they were polling Christians in America, and they were asking them questions. Like one of the questions they asked them is, what what percentage of Christians, quote-unquote Christians, that go to church in America believe that, so do all religions ultimately lead to God? And is it more about being a good person versus being exclusively a follower of Jesus? It's like almost 50% of this country now says, I think it was actually six, over 60%, like maybe 62% said that they believe, these are people that go to Christian church, that they believe that all roads through religion lead to God. And it sounds unloving And it doesn't sound very grace-filled to tell people that, no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. I remember I had a family out in California, and and, uh, the last time I saw my uncle, they were berating me for my faith. And I I love them dearly, but they were basically kind of, you know, they were arguing all these things. And it was shortly thereafter that my uncle dropped dead. He had a heart attack. He dropped dead. And, and uh, my aunt uh, came back from California uh, to, to hear. And I remember, I, I, as I was kind of praying about it, I felt like God told me, she's going to ask you where you believe her husband went. And she did. She goes, what do you believe about what happened to him when he died? And I said, you know what? I don't know where he is, but I do know this. If he's in heaven, it's because he called out to Jesus. And he could have done that last second. And so let's just be honest about it. Let's just be honest. And let's, if, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to enter the narrow gate, if you don't believe that, I would just advise you to read the word of God and see what it tells you. And see if there's any other justification to believe that the road to heaven is wide and not narrow. Jesus came and he's, he's telling people, he's warning people. Again, even the apostle Paul affirmed this in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 to 6. He says there's one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. And that's Jesus Christ. There's only one. We don't like to admit that our default position in life is to not be in a relationship with God. And we use terms like, well, we're spiritual, um, or, or every person is a child of God. We, we use these terms, and, and, and I, I'm not, I don't want to get into war words. But the Bible tells me that I was conceived in iniquity, and I was born a sinner. And that my default position in life was not reconciled with God. And it wasn't really until this hit me that I can honestly say that I entered the narrow gate. I think this is, the, this is part of the deal. This is part of the process. So you enter in that narrow gate clinging to nothing. Because you know your desperation and so this is so important. Uh, there's one mediator. He, uh, it goes on to say, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So what's interesting about the gate is that it's open. So the gate is open, but it's just hard to go through. It's, hard, it's, it's small, it's narrow, um, and it's just so much easier to take the broad road. So much easier. And so we have this desperation and this dependency that leads us through the small gate. What you're going to see in all these texts today is there's always this contrast you need to choose. So the first place where he brings you to is the contrast of the, of the wide gate and the narrow gate, the broad road and the narrow road. One leads to destruction. One leads to life. And he throws it out there. He says, which one do you choose? 
goes on as we continue through this text. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. I'm thankful that part of my journey is that I found myself in a church that preaches the word of God. And you can be thankful being here because you're going to hear the word of God. You're going to hear it um, in all of its sincerity. And everything that you need to be uh, equipped by God as a disciple and everything that you need to get you through that narrow gate will be spoken here. And you can thank God for it. You cannot say that about every single church in America. You see, the gospel itself is somewhat offensive to a rebellious spirit. It basically says that you yourself are not good enough to enter this narrow gate, that you need Jesus in your life, that there is only one way. There's all these absolutes, and we as a people, we can't stand absolutes. But that doesn't make it any less true. And so we have this, and, and again, I, Andrew mentioned that he and I, so I knew Andrew as a ministry leader. Over the years, we've become friends. I've always known Andrew to be a man who tells the truth. And he tells, he teaches scripture. And that in itself, and I know, I know all the other people uh, that are here, many leaders that are here, it's a commitment to the word of God. Andrew uh, knows that really the key to people growing in their faith is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. The Holy Spirit responds to the word of God. The Holy Spirit works with the Word of God. I don't really have any power to teach anybody anything. I just come before all of you, I preach the Word of God, and I have dependency on the Holy Spirit to move. That's it. And that's all any of us do. I said to Andrew before the service, I don't know if I constitute good fruit or not. I said, but Andrew, you produce good fruit. Uh, how many years in ministry? 25? Quarter, quarter of a century. <laughs> you old man. <laughs> you need a walker up here for him pretty soon. That's 25, that's, that's, that's 25 years of bearing good fruit. And, and again, it's not, a, it's not about a bragging thing. It's about a thing. If you're a new person here and you're trying to find God and you're trying to find your way into this place, that there's something inside of you that maybe something in your life, it's like, you know, I just have this, I have this uh, something inside of me that, that's prompting me uh, to seek the Lord. You'll find him here if you're seeking him. And that in itself, is one of the most important things you could ever say about a church. Jesus refers to false teachers as ferocious wolves. And I don't think anybody ever wants to say, you know, nobody ever gathers together and said, hey, everybody, guess what? I'm inwardly a ferocious wolf. Just so you know. I just thought I'd let you know, and I'm proud of it. You'll never hear that. But what you do, because I think that for a lot of people, they don't know. They don't know. I think that in their mind, they're, they're doing what they think is right. But, but, but again, the only way that you really know the difference between uh, you know, true or a false teacher is by what God does through it. You know, we have all these, I'm not going to go off on anything specific, but you know, it is interesting. A lot of churches are moving to this place theologically, theologically, and they have been for many, many uh, years, and they're all dying. People are leaving. And you go to these churches that once were packed with people, and now there's just a sprinkling of people. 
And it's not about numbers. It never is. It's about uh, discipleship. That, that's the fruit you're after. But I will say this. There is, there is a result of preaching the truth. And the result is, is fruit. And it's good fruit. It's not bad fruit. It's not bad fruit that, that, that doesn't lead anybody to Christ. That matter of fact, uh, bad fruit, in a sense, kind of takes people further away. It, it creates ambiguity and confusion. And people are like, well, you know, I used to be kind of clear on this, but now, I, I don't know. You know what? I just don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. I could care less. That's bad fruit. Good fruit is you know what, I don't know what you're saying, but I do believe in Jesus. And I'm going to follow him. And I'm not sure what you're trying to do right now as far as uh, get me or lead me into these places, but I do know that I feel like Jesus is taking me somewhere else, and I, and I can verify that through the word of God. That's good fruit. And when you talk about false teachers versus uh, true teachers, false prophets, uh, true prophets, all of these things, it's their commitment to Jesus Christ, it's their commitment to the word of God, and it's the result of that commitment that validates them as a true or a false teacher. If they hold their commitment to Christ loosely, they, they hold their commitment to the word of God loosely, and you just see people kind of rotten on the vine. They're not growing in their faith. I was, it was interesting, I looked up your mission statement, and, and uh, uh, part of what you guys talk about in your mission statement is obviously making disciples, but you, you specifically, you, you, you talk about uh, know, grow, and show, which is, I think that's, that's fantastic. But do you know what the opposite of, of know, grow, and show is? It's sit, soak, and sour. Your choice, Right? Know, K-N-O-W, know Jesus Christ, grow in discipleship, grow in strength, uh, being strengthened by the word of God. Iron sharpens iron, growing in relationship, meeting the other people that have gone through the narrow gate, the other people that are walking on this narrow road together, these travel companions as you go through life, and then take that message to the people and invite them to receive Jesus Christ. Or... Find a comfy spot, soak it all in, and let it all just atrophy. This is kind of the place that we're in. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 15, uh, the Word of God says these people are false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they'll get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. As a pastor, all of these texts, they humble me. And, you know, one of the things, so when I was younger, before I knew the Lord, arrogance was not a problem of mine. But I also know that arrogance is the greatest hindrance when it comes to following Jesus and walking on that narrow road. So there has to be this humility here. And one of the reasons why I cling to the Word of God is because I just don't know anything on a personal level. I trust everything that is worth knowing, everything that is valuable, everything that will continue through eternity, God gives me through his word. And I need the Holy Spirit to comfort me in times of trouble. I need the Holy Spirit to be there with me in times where maybe the old Steve wants to start, start kind of doing his thing again. And every so often the, the Holy Spirit can be there along with the word of God to say, you know what, that, that's the broad road. That's, that's, not, that's not what I want for you. But, but you don't understand, Lord. There's nobody else on the narrow road. It's just, it can be so lonely sometimes. And sometimes you're just like, oh, man. You know, I, I, it's like everybody on the news talks about how stupid 
people on the narrow road are, and, and everybody makes fun of, of a biblical worldview, and it's just so hard, and I feel, I feel so uh, uh, you know, narrow-minded at times, and, and I just want to be more worldly, and, and, and you know, blah, 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 all of these things, and it's like Jesus says, but I'm on the narrow road. What else do you need? And there has to be something inside of us that says, you know what? I don't need anything else. That's all I need. I don't need worldly praise. I don't need uh, any of these other things. But I need Jesus. And that's what keeps us on the narrow road. So, uh, continuing on, I mean, obviously there's this outward manifestation of faith. Uh, We see that in James, in James 2, verse 14 to 26. This is what it says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and then you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? You may say, well, Steve, you just said earlier that you know it's not a works-based righteousness. It isn't. It's a righteousness based on faith. You don't enter the narrow gate through works. But as you're on the narrow path, as you've gone through the narrow gate, and as you develop this intimacy with the Lord and you walk and the Holy Spirit guides you into righteousness, reveals truth to you, reveals truth about yourself to you, and as you're walking through this journey, this is the fruit that you bear. It's action. Faith always manifests itself in action. What you believe is what you do. Y'all had faith in the chairs you're sitting on, otherwise you never would have sat on them. You never thought about that, did you? You all had faith that the, the, the builders of this building knew what they were doing and that the, it won't, the roof won't collapse. You all had faith in that. Unless you were here actually working on it, well, then that... Maybe that takes it to the next level. But the reality is we show faith all the time. Every time you get a glass of water, aren't you kind of showing faith? Pretty sure there's a lot that can happen along the way to your spigot or your faucet. But that's the whole point of it. The whole point of it is, is that we show faith in things all the time. How often do we show faith in Jesus? Faith always leads to action. We do something out of faith, and that is what the fruit is that he's talking about. Um, He goes on to say that, uh, he goes, but you say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that when our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac in the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute's another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good deeds, good works. So as you walk on this narrow road, as you begin to bear fruit, these are the works, the deeds that follow your faith. I always think, I know that this church is going through a season where um, they're doing funerals, and and we've been going through the same season. We've lost a lot of loved ones, but they've gone on to heaven, Uh, you know, all the people have gone on to heaven, and and, and so it's a victory, but yet it's sad because, you know, people are dying and, and there's a lot of grieving involved. 
But one of the things, I did a funeral um, a little over a week ago, and one of the things I, I said, and this is a thought that I always have at a funeral, is that your death says a lot about how you lived your life. For some of us, there's this expectation that the pastor will show up, say a few words, give some uh, consoling uh, words to the family, uh, and then after the funeral's over, family goes back to living however they want to live, and they do whatever they want to do. But as a pastor, it is such a joy that when a saint, a senior saint or a believer in Christ, a disciple of Christ, passes away, you can look at their life and the fruit that it produced, and you can have confidence that that person is with Jesus. What would be said about you? Every single person should spend time. It's not morbid. It's inevitable. Contemplating what does your life speak about your faith? I think it's a good gut check. Every so often, it's like, you know, how, how am I living, and what does that say about what I believe? And as always is the case, you know, when it comes to the kingdom of God, the solution is not to change the way you act. The solution is to draw close to Jesus and let him lead you into what he wants you to do. So we go on. We're going to finish this out. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That says that people that go to church, not all people that go to church are going to heaven. It was Jimmy Graham, who's, or Billy Graham, who said that uh, sitting in a church no more makes you a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you a car. This is about the work that God has done in your life. There's a, there's a poem by Jeffrey O'Hara um, called Ye Call Me, and I want to read this for you because it's pretty powerful, but it speaks to this. So it says, it, and of course it's kind of old English, but it says, Ye call me the way. And walk me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me master and obey me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. You call me bread and you eat me not. You call me truth and you believe in me not. You call me Lord and serve me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. And these are powerful words. We use words like master and Lord and surrender and all these things. And and the question always becomes, and this is a deeply personal question. I'm not making any judgments about anybody else. I come before the Lord, and I evaluate those words based on how I'm living. I don't compare myself to anybody else. I compare myself to Jesus, which always tells me there's work to do. Complacency is not an option. So I'm going to give you four action steps and and then we'll be done. So number one, and I, I kind of thought I would go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about the Beatitudes. And, and, and there's kind of a key in there. So he kind of starts with kind of the key uh, to everything. And then he kind of works his way through the whole message. And then at the end, he kind of gives the, he gives the command to enter the narrow, narrow gate. And then he gives all the warnings. So the action steps kind of flow from the Beatitudes, the very beginning. And so the first one is repent and believe. Um, it, so Mark 1.15, Jesus says these words, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means turn. Turn from your sins. You literally, it's an about face. So if you're going this way and this is not leading you any closer to God and you're kind of doing whatever you do, the key indicator is to turn towards Jesus and follow him. That's the narrow road. And as you do that, you're going to see a lot of people that are like, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's up with that? And you're like, well, I'm just following Jesus. It's like, ah, pfft, I'm just going to keep going this way. So th this is when it begins. The crowd, you, you lead the crowd because you're following Jesus, and this is a personal journey. Who knows where it leads? I know ultimately where it leads. It leads to heaven. It leads to reconciliation with God. It leads to 
uh, living water. It leads to a life everlasting, a, a fulfilled life. It leads to blessing. It leads to all these things. But in my flesh, I want to go with the crowd. Repent and believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Paul lays out the gospel. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. This is the gospel. I preached to you before. You welcomed them then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Here it is. I passed on to you what was most important, what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So this is this picture. So that's, that's, that's number one, repent and believe. Number two, be coachable. Better be humble. Surrender. Admit that you don't know. Declare your dependence on Christ. You know what? I, I, I thought that I knew everything there was to know, but the further along I go, the more I realize that I didn't know. Right? Be humble. Be coachable. Man, you know, the last, I don't think coachable and humble has described us as a people in this country for the last couple years. Do you think? Maybe we can set the tone as followers of Christ, maybe we can have humble hearts and, and we could be more coachable with what our leaders and what the Word and what the Holy Spirit and Christ himself wants to do. Be coachable. That's number two. Number three, strive for righteousness. Righteousness means blamelessness. It's a word, it, blamelessness before God. You can call it justification, but it's basically all of your transgressions against God. You want to walk in a place of blamelessness before God. Surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides you into righteousness, reveals truth to you. And finally, four, be pure at heart. Just be honest, be sincere, be pure at heart. They are the ones who see God. Be honest and truthful about yourself. Do not deceive yourself. Are you following Jesus? Remember playing as kids playing follow the leader? What was the point? You did whatever the leader was doing. How are you at doing that? It's kind of weird. We get to this place here where we say, well, I follow Jesus in my heart. Okay. All right. How does your faith manifest itself into action? How do you take risks for the kingdom's sake? But you don't understand. People will see and they'll say things and, you know, but... Don't deceive yourself. Are you following Jesus? Are you on the narrow path, on, you, on the narrow road? Um, I'm going to end this by reading for you uh, one last text. I've gone way over. I'm sorry, Andrew. I'm used to two messages, so you're getting both messages in one shot. I'll read this, and then we'll go into a time of worship together. But this comes from John 15, and this is this great, ex- it's, it's an encouragement for what we are called to do. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, And the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit and every branch that does bear fruit. He prunes it so it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. Abide in me. Live in me. Live your life in me. That's what that means. Remain in me as I will remain in you. Oftentimes we pray like this, and that's good. We pray, we, we, uh, you know, it's adoration, it's, it's all of these things. But you know, sometimes you, you pray to Christ inside of you, the Holy Spirit. You pray to the Spirit of, of the Lord, um, and, and it, it's kind of deeply personal that way. Um, remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you live in me, you abide in me, you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no more than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is what our Lord, our Master, is commanding us to do. Are we willing to do it? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word today. And Lord, I do. I say um, it's a sobering thing to come before your word and to hear you say that not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will be granted entrance into heaven. There are those of us that, um, Lord, I don't know. I don't know if our hearts aren't pure or if uh, there's, there's a misunderstanding of what the good news truly is. I, I don't know, but it all comes back to this place of dependency on you. The only way we make it through the small gate is by you leading us through it. And so now, Lord, we go into a time of response and worship, and we declare, Lord, the only way we stay on the narrow road, the only way we make it through the narrow gate is if you're leading us. So help us, help us, Lord, to follow you. If there's anybody here that is feeling this command to follow Jesus, maybe for the first time in your life, I want to I just encourage you to worship, but I also want to let you know, Lord, that um, there will be prayer ministers. And Lord, may people come for prayer as they're called. We know. Lord Jesus, that you are doing this work and it's this dependence on you. So we give you this time. This is your time. The word has been declared. The invitation has been made. Come Holy Spirit. Move us, your people, to where you want us to go. We pray this in your powerful name, Lord Jesus.